What happened in 1956? That's one answer. But in church, we talk about five male missionaries who had it in their heart to reach a group in South America called the Warani people. And these missionaries were airmen, and they flew in a plane around the territory where the Warani lived. And they would take a rope, attach it to a basket, put some gifts in the basket, and then lower that rope down into the jungle as gifts to this people that they wanted to reach. Well, one day, when they pulled that basket back up, there was a gift for them from the Warani. So they said, surely, this is a sign from God that we can now go and actually approach these people. So they flew their little plane down onto the river. They walked out onto the beach. And as far as we can tell, they were all immediately speared to death. But there's more to this story. Because a few years later, two of the widows of these men who died went into that jungle, presented the gospel, And now, now, there is a witnessing church among the Warani people. Now, that's a story of courage. And sure, we we kind of expect that, don't we? I mean, after all, that's why they call them missionaries. They do brave things. But what about us? Are we people of courage? Is, Is it even necessary to be people of courage? I believe it is. And I'm going to start with reading a few verses from Proverbs 24 and then launch into choosing courage over fear. Proverbs 24, 10 to 12 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? So, are we ever afraid? One indicator of our fears is what we share in the way of prayer requests. In the church where I served, the last church, for 16 years, we had a weekly tradition. We would offer a prayer card, which I think you can see behind me. Nothing special about this prayer card, but there was something special about the promise that came with it. Because each week, whoever was leading the service, usually the senior pastor, would say, submit a prayer request. We will pray for you this week and we will keep it confidential. I thought that was a great idea. I was on the church staff. It wasn't my idea. But I loved getting together each week with discipline to spend 30 to 45 minutes praying over these prayer cards. Now, at the time we were doing this, there were about 1,200 people at the church on a weekend. How many people do you suppose 
shared a prayer request with us. Somebody puts up five. Now, there's a real cynic. <laughs> but they were, in fact, about 60. About, one, uh, about uh, 5% of the people would share a prayer request. Why is that? Well, I think part of it is because a lot of people don't want to recognize their fears. At least they don't want to admit to them to someone else. And surely they don't really trust someone to share that fear, pray about that fear, with any sense of confidentiality. Now, as I said, we, we promised, and we kept that promise, to be confidential. Those prayer requests didn't go past a very limited scope of church leaders, and they were literally shredded at the end of the week. But yet, many people just didn't want to share their fears. The fact is, we live in a culture that is besieged with fear. Look at what happened during the pandemic. One of the primary motivators for getting vaccinations and wearing masks was fear. Now, I'm not making a comment about either of those, but I'm just saying that fear had a part in motivating people to do certain things about the pandemic. In a month, what's going to happen? An election! And what are the candidates telling you? Hey, if you vote for me, you won't have anything to worry about. I'll take care of it. If you vote for her, oh, you've got a lot to fear. Fear is just part of our lives. It's become increasingly that way, especially since the pandemic. And we, we have personal fears, some things that we really don't want to admit. Here's something about my family that I'm not proud of. My wife and I adopted three children. Two of them had family histories of addiction. And sure enough, by the time my two boys were in high school, they were beginning down the road to addiction. And we lived with that fear. What was going to happen to them? And in the case of our oldest son, the ultimate happened. He died from alcoholism. Meanwhile, our younger son is still alive. He's saying he's sober. We want to believe him, but we live with the fear that at any day he might relapse tragically, and die of an overdose. It happens to addicts all the time. You may not be aware of it, but I am, believe me. So we have our fears, some of them broadly and sort of culturally induced, others of them intensely personal. So how do we choose courage over fear? We don't want to start out with this definition of fear. It's a nice acronym, but it's false. One definition of fear is forget everything and run. Forget everything and run. Get it? Fear? No. That's not the approach to fear that God wants us to take. 
I'd like to suggest, pulling on a whole bunch of scriptures that I can't fit all into, uh, into these brief statements, I'd like to suggest that fear is relying on yourself. Fear is facing difficult situations in isolation, not putting in that prayer card, not telling anyone about it. And thirdly, fear is being passive. Being so concerned about whatever it is, we don't know what to do. And so we don't. We become passive. But courage, courage is recognizing that when there's something that makes us frightened, we go right to God. We depend on him. We seek out our community. We are willing to share with others. We do recognize that God in the form of the Holy Spirit, never leaves us. And thirdly, courage says we take action. Now, I haven't always fulfilled this definition myself. I'll be the first to tell you. But I will give you a short story to kind of illustrate what it means to choose courage over fear. It was mentioned that I've been to a bunch of countries. Frankly, most of them are countries that you don't want to visit. These are places where the gospel has not taken hold, and it kind of looks that way. So I was in a country named Sierra Leone on the west side of Africa some time ago, and it was kind of a strange assignment. Five people went with me on this trip, but on the third day, we split up. Each of us had some special task to fulfill, and mine was training pastors in a remote city of this country. So I took a literally a 12-hour car ride, hired some individual. I couldn't speak his language, but he knew where to go. And so we drove 12 hours. I got out to this little town. I checked in at a guest house. And of course, by this time, it was about 5 in the afternoon. And I was uh, sitting in my room, no air conditioning, hot as blazes, tapping away on my laptop, getting ready for the next morning's presentation, and I wasn't very comfortable. I wasn't real happy, frankly. I was anxious to do what I was supposed to do the next day. And about 5.15, in the sort of the, the, the uh, sitting room of this little hotel, kind of the lobby, I hear all these voices. And, and these, th- these are men's voices. They're loud. They're boisterous. And they're speaking Arabic. Now, I'm not fluent in Arabic by a long shot, but I knew it was Arabic. So what do I start thinking? I think, wait a minute. I am the only North American in this town, as far as I could tell. I had taken a little walk, and all the kids were pointing at me, saying, panny, 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 white man, white man, white man. And then I had come back, and now there is this bunch of, as far as I could tell, Muslims that were right outside my door. And I will just tell you, you can criticize me if you want, but I was frightened. And so I thought to myself, wait a minute, God's with me. I know that, even though it doesn't feel like it. Even though I can't see him, he's working. Secondly, I have a bunch of prayer partners back in the States. I know that they are praying for me at this moment. And thirdly, I can't just cower behind this door hoping that these guys are going to go away. They're probably here for the night. 
just like I am. So I decided to do something. I had a piece of fruit. I was going to eat it with my dinner. I had no way to cut it. So I went out into the lobby, and I said, "Assalamu alaikum. I know that much Arabic. And they kind of looked at me and, you know, checked me out. And so then with sign language, since I couldn't go this far in Arabic, I indicated that I needed a knife to cut my piece of fruit. Sure enough, one of the guys had a knife. He loaned it to me. I cut my fruit, gave him the knife back, said, shokran, thank you in Arabic. And the tension was broken. I didn't have anything to be afraid of. Later, I found out these guys were erecting a cell tower in the hot weather of Sierra Leone. And they were just coming back to let off a little steam and have a beer and just, you know, take it easy after a hard day's work. I had nothing to fear from these guys. It's just all these stereotypes fell into place for me when I was hiding behind my hotel room door. When we choose courage over fear, we go to the Lord, we remember our brothers and sisters who stand with us, even if they're not literally with us at that time, and we take action. Here's a couple of other suggestions about choosing courage over fear. The first comes from Psalm 66. It says, Come and hear all you who fear the Lord, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. You want to recall God's past provision and tell others what he's done for you. You know, something that drives me nuts about the Old Testament. It's inspired, believe me, I read it all the time, but it still drives me nuts that the Israelites had such short memories when it came to what God did in their lives. I'm sure you've all heard of the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea, one of the most famous incidents in the history of Israel. Well, do you know when that happened in a calendar sense that we could understand? That happened in April. In April, the Israelites were escaping from Egypt and they saw God part those waters, let them get through, and then it all came crashing down on the soldiers that were pursuing them. Woo! What a miracle! That was April. In June, Moses was guided by God to go up on Mount Sinai. How long was he going to be there? Nobody knew. That was June. In July, what happened? The Israelites grew impatient. Hey, if Moses isn't coming back, we might as well worship a God that we can depend on. So what did they do? They insisted that Aaron, number two in command, get their gold jewelry together, melt it down, and make a calf. Now that's a God that we can trust. Huh? I don't get it. But you know, sometimes some version of that occurs within our own lives. You don't have to answer this question, okay? Strictly rhetorical. But why are you here this morning? Why are you here? My guess is that sometime in the past, God overcame a fear of yours. 
God did something that was unmistakably from him, and you decided, I'm going to take Christianity seriously. And one of the evidences of that is coming to church. We may not process that specifically as we get on our clothes and jump in the car on a Sunday, but that's subtly what's, what's motivating us. It's all too easy to forget what God has done in our lives. One of the things that God did for me way back was provide me with a woman that I could spend the rest of my life with. I was a freshman in college, and you might think that's a little early to be worried about who you're going to marry, but I've always been a planner, a hopeless type A personality. So I started praying every day for God to bring this woman into my life. I was going to a secular university. There were no other Christians on campus that I knew of, but I still prayed that prayer. And by the middle of my freshman year, I had met this girl named Christine. By the end of my freshman year, we were dating. Four years we were later, we were married. Fifty years later, we're still married, and we still like each other. What could be better? That's just one evidence in my life that God is part of what I'm doing, what I need, and frankly, what makes me scared. I hope that you can recollect those kinds of things in your life where God has shown himself. And frankly, you, you could be in a season where God doesn't seem to be doing anything. We prayed for my older son for years. And there was no change except his tragic ending. For those of you in that place, let me remind you from Psalm 77. Will the Lord reject me forever? This is Asaph speaking at the direction of David. David, the David, the guy who slew Goliath, remember him? He's saying through Asaph, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has God's unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? You might be here this morning with something that's going on in your life, and that's exactly how you feel. Where is he? I can sing Waymaker from dawn to dusk, and it still doesn't seem like he's making any way for me. If you're here, With that concern, let me commend you because you're coming to the right place. You're doing the right things, and in time, God will answer. I don't know when. I still don't have a lot of answers about my son's death. But I'm trusting him, and I know God's plan is being worked out. We've got to remember what God has done in our lives to experience the courage that we need to deal with our fears today. Tim Keller, you've probably heard of him from New York City, he said at one time, remembering God's past love is the only way to face present stress with confidence and poise. Ah, that's so eloquent. You know, this guy knows how to turn a phrase. But what you might not know about Tim Keller is that two years ago, he, had pan- he was struck with stage four pancreatic cancer. 
That's a killer, frankly. That's a killer. What did he say in response to that? He said, I have terrific human doctors, but most importantly, I have the great physician himself caring for me. And then Keller paraphrased Hebrews 12 and said, running the race set before me with joy because Jesus ran an infinitely harder race with joy for me. My respect for Keller, already very high, just skyrocketed after that. Because this guy who could make an eloquent phrase that didn't reflect Bible truth was living that out in his own life. And two years later, he's still alive, somehow. Another approach that helps us to overcome fear with courage is to face your fears with others. Pretty fundamental, pretty straightforward. Based on a very familiar verse in Matthew 18, if uh, two of you agree on earth about anything, it will be done for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. How willing are you to share your fears? Would you be putting in those prayer cards on a week-to-week basis? Or would you be saying, "Uh uh-uh, not me. I had a leader in our church, a great guy, very faithful in a key position, tell me personally, privately, he had three prodigal girls, raised three kids, they all became adults, they all took a sharp left when it came to their faith. I said, well, why don't you go to the group? We've got a group for the parents of prodigal kids. He said, are you kidding me? If I told what was really going on in this, in my life, with my family, I'd get judged. I don't think he would have, but if that's your posture, if that's your position, please remember the truth of this verse and be willing to share. And frankly, if somebody shares with you and you say, I'll pray about it, well, first of all, do pray about it. But secondly, Don't tell anybody else unless you have specific permission to do that. That's the way that we can support each other in prayer and choose courage over fear. An illustration of this from nature are redwood redwood trees. Maybe you've heard this before, but I I love using it because it's so dramatic. These trees are gigantic, right? They're 300 feet high, as high as a football field is long. Being that high, can you imagine the strength of the winds that they have to endure? So how do these trees stay standing? You might think they have these incredibly deep roots that go down hundreds of feet. But the fact of the matter is, their roots are very shallow. So how do they stand up? Redwood trees always grow in groves. There are always redwood trees around them. They all have shallow roots, but they're so close in proximity to each other that those roots intertwine with each other so that when a storm comes and the wind blows, it's very unusual for a redwood tree to fall because it's the roots of the other trees that are holding them up. 
We need to have that same confidence in our brothers and sisters to help us hold up. Proverbs 24.11, I read it earlier, says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. When a tragedy comes into your life, I hope the body of Christ will surround you and support you. That's exactly what happened when we lost Tim five years ago. 300 cards of sympathy and prayer were were sent to us. I'm a type A. I counted them. 300! What an incredible outpouring of the body of Christ. The vast majority of those cards came from believers. The third step that we can take in choosing courage over fear is to take voluntary risks. The message, paraphrase, says this of Hebrews 13, 13. So let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. Wait a minute. Taking our share in the abuse of Jesus? I don't think I signed up for that when I became a Christian. But what this writer of Hebrews is saying is that the more you live like Jesus, the more you experience the kinds of abuse that he experienced, the better off you'll be. The stronger your character will be and the better prepared you'll be when unavoidable, painful situations come into your life. Jesus himself said, do not fear those who kill the body. Whoa. I do fear those who kill the body when it's mine. But again, Jesus is reminding his followers, he said this at a time when he was growing in popularity and they were being associated with this popular person, they could receive the same end as he did. And indeed they did. 11 out of the 12 disciples were martyred, as best we understand it. So what's the point? Why would you voluntarily take a risk? It's because sometimes you're going to receive risks that are unplanned and that are difficult. You find out you have cancer. You find out a child wants to become another sex. You find out the place where you work has been breaking federal laws for years in order to make a profit. We encounter these things. We don't have any choice often in the matter. So what do we do? I would suggest if you'll take risks voluntarily, then you're going to be better prepared for those risks that are involuntary. Risks, risk is being righteously involved in seeking God's kingdom. Is there some risk that you can take to seek God's kingdom? I'll go right to the core. What if you started tithing? Oh, man. Tithing, are you kidding me? Well, the Bible teaches it, but, you know. God doesn't know about me in my situation. 
Maybe you need to take that risk. Maybe you need to take the risk of being in a group. You come to church every Sunday, you say hi to everybody, you disappear until the next Sunday, and that's fine with you. You don't want to get involved. You don't want to get vulnerable. So you take the minimum approach to church. I'm glad you're here. Don't go away and not come back because I said that. But remember, the more you risk voluntarily, the better prepared you'll be to advance his kingdom. I want to close by just giving you three couplets of courage that sort of sum up some of the things we've said this morning, at least. First of all, fear is always near. Whether you admit it or not, there's always going to be a fear right around the corner. The devil's a hungry, roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. And how is he going to eat you up? With fear. With fear. So, as best you can, just accept that fear is part of your life. It's what happens when you live, especially when you try to live with some semblance of purpose. Take earthly risks because there is no eternal risk. Now, I know this is really hard, but somehow we need to value more what's going to happen later than what we value now. Later, when our time on this earth is over, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to a risk-free environment called heaven. But now, now we got to fight through whatever happens. We need to embrace those earthly risks. Choose courage over fear in order to live the way God wants us to live, and frankly, in order to live a way that's satisfying. It's called the Christian life. And finally, face the fears of others while you face your own. We've all got stuff happening. But we're in a group of people here, a hundred or so, however many are here on this Sunday morning, And they've all got issues, too. Now, I'm not saying that you're responsible for all 99 other people in the room, but you ought to be taking responsibility for some. The proverb very clearly tells us that we can't just be so absorbed with what's making us afraid that we don't have room to empathize and support and maybe even practically assist in the situations that others in our fellowship have that are also fear-inducing. So face the fears of others while you face your own. If you choose courage over fear, you will experience the Christian life as God intended. And it's a great life. And even more important than how satisfied you are with your life is the fact that you'll be advancing the kingdom of God. That's why God put us here. That's why he saved you, to advance his kingdom. Won't you do that? Choose courage over fear. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your truth from the scriptures. Help us, Lord, to believe 
that no matter how daunting the things that scare us might be, that you're with us, that there are others in your body to support us, and that we can take action that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen.